All right, amen. Well, Joseph's thoroughly broke in now. He's preached three weeks in a row. I was supposed to preach last week. I watched this TED Talk last week about procrastination. And it was like, I finally, okay, I want you to be full disclosure. Raise your hand if you're a bona fide procrastinator. Praise the Lord. I just knew it was going to be like four of us. That was a good joke. Rob waited and raised his hand after everybody put theirs down. <laughs> so I read, y'all need to look it up. There's a TED Talk. This guy's got like a whole blog series, like a whole website dedicated to uh, like people who, op- like I don't operate well until the pressure cooker's turned up. Like if you tell me, hey man, you got to preach in four weeks. Like here, okay, so a guy's wanting to, he's wanting all three of my sermon outlines for the Virginia Baptist Student Conference I'm preaching at in February. I was like, good luck, bro. Like February 22nd, I'll get those to you on the 21st. I will pull two all-nighters, get up at four in the morning, the, the day of, and like that's just the way I roll. And so last week, um, I won't go into details, but I was supposed to preach. I was, it was my time up last week. And for the, literally the first time in my life, I had the sermon ready like on Tuesday. And then realized I was, I was double booked. And I was like, that's it. I ain't never preparing something early again. I'll never do that again. It, this, I've made it half a century working, operating a certain way. I ain't changing. So, um, uh, so that was pretty funny. But, um, yeah, it's good, good to get Joseph uh, some some time in front of you guys so you're I know we're getting to know him so much better so many um, so many of you are just now really getting to know the Tuckers and um it's just exciting time to be at Red Oak it's an exciting time church is growing and um we need a bigger stage I'll tell you that much um <laughs> mobile preachers don't do good on four by eight you know so now lots happening we're gonna grow um normally a salad bar sits here so uh, we need we need, to, uh, we need that sugar daddy I mentioned a couple weeks ago. That's what we need. Um, there's three things, three things as you get to uh, 2 Peter chapter, um, chapter 2. There's three things that I believe create barriers in building the church. When I say building the church, big C, the church of Jesus Christ, global, that, you know, the church that is going to penetrate the darkness with the gospel, reach unreached people groups, push back against the enemies of the gospel and win the day. The, the, the three things that create barriers in building the church, the first one is this, hypocrit- hypocritical Christians. All of us know people. I'm driving to church tonight, and I'm passing a couple of guys that I know are not currently in church, but I know they were raised in church, and I don't know their story, but all of us have had conversations with people that said, I don't go to church because church is full of hypocrites. Well, so snap-on tools and Walmart and Ingles, like hypocrite, that's like a human condition. But as Christians, we are expected to live at a higher standard and to be truthful, to be men and women of truth. Second thing is false teachers who deceive, false teachers who deceive are a barrier to the, to the building up of the, of the big C church. Number three, those who are willing to follow the deception. Say that again. False teachers do not deceive unwilling people this is a big truth tonight people who are led astray by false teaching are doing so because they're looking for a softer version of a hard gospel that demands everything so the reason 
false teaching sells is because it appeals to the broken condition of a human heart that doesn't want to submit to the authority of Scripture. Make sense? So, so as we walk through this last major teaching that we've been several weeks in now on false teaching, that's something that I want us to keep in mind because we're really mainly going to focus in on false teachers, the actual false teachers. And it's going to get really, um, it's going to get intense as far as what the scripture says of false teachers and what it accuses them of. It's going to be really intense with some vivid imagery. Okay, so by way of introduction, before we start reading our text, um, uh, we're, we're, we know that we're coming to the end of Peter's life, and I was just I was reflecting and reminiscing on this today. Um, you notice how the older you get, the more willing you are to say and care less what anybody thinks about it. Right? The older you get, the, you will say, and, and there's a certain age, and some of our people, I'm not going to look around and make eye contact. Some of our people have reached it. You will say things that make people uncomfortable. But it's, it's, but it's true that the older you get, the more you feel a sense of urgency. I would say in, on a more serious note, the more you feel a sense of urgency to say things that matter. We're sitting across from a couple at Cracker Barrel, me and Little, not long ago, and and she made the comment, they haven't said a word to each other. And I'm like, you know, we're, we're joking. We're like, well, they probably said everything they've got to say. They've been married probably 60 years. And it's like, we said it all, you know. We raised a bunch of kids and grandkids are raised. And we're like, at, but the older you get, the more you think about things of, of eternal significance. And so Peter at this point is writing to the church knowing it's the last thing that I'm going to say to them. I mean, he's told us, I'm getting ready to die. I'm going to go die. This is the last thing I have to say to you. I'm going to say it with reckless abandon. I'm not holding back. I'm going to, I'm going to speak it. And Peter never had a problem with holding back, you know. But, but we know that, that there were times where he did check up. We know that Paul had to confront him. In his letter to the Galatians, he tells us he had to confront him because Peter was concerned about offending the Judaizers. At this point, Peter's not concerned about offending anybody. He's only concerned about preaching an unadulterated truth that is based on the purity of the gospel. So when we read it, it's so good because it's this dude that we revere and trust is grabbing us by the shirt collar and saying, listen to me. Listen to me. I'm going to die. And I'm not going to lead you anymore. I'm not going to shepherd you anymore. And it's so interesting because Zach pointed this out to me today, and I'd not seen this, and I don't know how I didn't see this, and it exploded in my mind. The last chapter of 1 Peter was a picture of what a good, faithful shepherd looks like. Remember that? When we walked through 1 Peter, he said, shepherd the flock of God, not domineering, not for shameful gain. Don't, here's a good shepherd. Don't do these things. But... Be loving and be submitted to the Holy Spirit. And he walks through the, the, what it looks like to be a faithful shepherd. Now we've got this contrast. So 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter is really drilling into the opposite of what a faithful shepherd is. So if you want to really bring this to life in your personal study time, contrast it with 1 Peter chapter 5. A good shepherd, the first 10 verses, and now these few verses that we're going to be in tonight what a, a false teacher looks like. But also, 
we can contrast this to chapter 1. John Piper pointed this out, that in, first, in 2 Peter chapter 1, when we started this book, it was so encouraging. Remember the ladder? Everybody had the images of the ladder, hopefully, because I acted it out. I got no rhythm, but I was bouncing on the ladder. Nobody bounces on a ladder. I don't even know why I was doing that, but I was, it was a climbing motion. And, so, and he was saying, listen, this is what it looks like to live well. If you do these things, you're going to be faithful. He's looking at us, and he's saying, you can do it. You're going to make it. You're going to finish the race. You're going to stand fast. You're going to stand firm. Now, th- and that is like, that is like in the light encouragement. But now, man, he is taking us to a dark place. Last week was dark. We're talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. That's no fun. Like that's, that's, that, is, that is not an enjoyable thing to study. The total destruction of an, of an entire people group. So he's taking us to a dark place because false teachers live in the dark. They live in the dark. So he's going to call it what it is. Jesus had told Peter to feed his sheep. He was literally given personal commission and responsibility from the Lord. So let's time lapse. The last thing, one of the last things Jesus says to Peter is, be a faithful shepherd, feed my sheep, be a good preacher, be a good pastor. Now he's done it. He's run his race. He's finished it. Now he's saying to the church, okay, I did what I was told. He carried out the commission. And... Um, Something that, that I've always wrestled with is the question of why do false teachers teach a false gospel? You know, like, why do they do it? Not, and, and, and I know, like, we can say, well, for, um, and we've talked about this, and we're going to talk about it tonight, for sex, power, and money. Okay, but what, like, what's mo- There's other ways to get sex, power, and money. Is there not? Yeah, look, you, you can. You can go make money. This, this world is ripe with opportunity for you to make a bunch of money. And a lot of people are like, really? <laughs> it's there. You know, like we live, we live in, a, in, a, in a world where that's a, a doable thing. Why, does, why would somebody use the church of Jesus Christ, the sacred ground of the bride of Christ, for sex, for money, for power? Peter's going to, Tonight, he's going to answer that question. He's going to say, here's why they do what they do. Here's why, th- here's why that's the outworking of this. So ver- we're going to start, uh, we're going to break it down into like three or four sections. We're going to begin in verse 10. Um, so 2 Peter chapter 2, let's begin in verse 10. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheme about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. Okay, so what he does first is he talks about the way a false teacher speaks. So he's telling us what it looks like when a a false teacher is speaking. He's helping us identify the speech of a false teacher. False teachers are arrogant. They're they're self-autonomous when it comes to submitting to authority. They do not do that. They have no fear of the Lord, and they have no fear of the judgment that awaits them. They're brazen. They're cocky. They're self-assured. And as we continue in the passage, we're going to see what that looks like out front and in public. 
and what it is driven by in the hearts of these men. Additionally, they are blasphemous. Blasphemy is actions. Here, here's a definition for blasphemy. Blasphemy is actions or speech that ignore the sacred and holy nature of the Lord and show contempt towards God or his word. Peter will use this word blasphemy three times in these verses. The bottom line is that a false preacher will have, listen, the bottom line is that a false preacher will have disdain not only for the true gospel, but for those who faithfully teach, preach, and speak the truth of the word of God. See, a false teacher is not just doing his thing just for gain. There's something deeper and more wicked. There is a hatred for those who preach the gospel. There is a hatred for the church of Jesus Christ because he's an enemy of the church. It's demonic. It's diabolical. Pay attention to the words of a teacher. A false teacher will, will so contradict true biblical orthodoxy. In other words, historic Christian teaching, what we know to be true in Scripture. A false teacher will so contradict true biblical orthodoxy that Peter says his words become more like the grunts of an animal. I remember one, one time, I remember one day as about a sixth grader, it was one of those days where, I mean, I was demonically possessed, I believe, at that age, <laughs> like, like out of control, and it was a snow day, and I got dropped off at my nanny's house, and she was sick, she, my, my nanny died later that year, she had cancer, and I remember she was in the, we were up on uh, Allen's Creek, when you come off Balsam, if you turn up in Hazelwood, go up Allen's Creek, that's where they lived, and I remember it snowed, and I don't know why we would have gotten left there, because um, she was in such a bad shape. But me and my cousin, Wizard, I just like to say Wizard's nickname and just let it hang. Me and Wizard got dropped off that day. I think my brother Duke was there too. And we were all up there at, and it snowed. And we were throwing snowballs at cars when they went by, which we've surely, everybody ain't from down deep south has done that. And so, except for the young people, you guys, don't ever let me catch you doing that. Evil. I was not a Christian at that time. And so then my granddad comes out and he called us mutts. And he says, You dad gum mutts? How do you know there's not a rock in one of those snowballs? And then we're like, Ooh, we could put rocks in the snowballs. <laughs> Animalistic behavior, you know, like like he's Peter's going at these guys and he's saying, You're literally this type of teaching is animalistic. Animals just operate on impulse. All they care about is just instant feeding of what they want and they need right now. He's just, he's painting a picture for us. The more sobering thing, however, is that just like animals, these teachers will be destroyed. That's the promise in this passage. Now think of the fact that, I was thinking about this, no animal dies an easy death. He's like, like, no matter how much of an animal person you are, if you think about what it's like for animals in the wild, there are no easy deaths. And he's saying, these false teachers, not only are they animalistic in their behaviors, but their end, their demise is assured, and it's going to happen. And then we're going to get into verses, uh, the, the, the second part of that verse, down through verse 16, we're going to look at the motivation and the tactics of these false teachers. Second part of verse 13, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime, their blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they've gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression, a speechless donkey 
spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. So when we think about um, the motivation, I'm sorry, the, uh, the, yeah, the motivation and tactics of a false teacher, it's important, I think, to understand what a false teacher focuses his eyes on. We watch the eyes of the false teacher. In Peter's day, this idea of the, the eyes was common in terms of looking at a person's inner passions and desires. The false teacher is proud of his ability to deceive. He's proud of it. He's proud of his ability to deceive. And here's where it gets scary in this portion of the text. The motivation for false teachers is twofold. Illicit sexual experiences and conquest Praying sexually on the weak whom they influence. He's saying it is not coincidental that notable, famous television preachers or the pastor of the largest growing church in a community where that church goes from zero to busting at the seams overnight, it is not coincidental that he finds himself he just finds himself in an illicit sexual affair. It was actually part of his plan and motivation. That is scary and sobering. Now, are there situations where men let their guard down, women let their guard down, and, and fell into sexual sin? Absolutely. But I want you to think about the story of King David on, and I know that's, he's not a pastor, but when he's on that rooftop, it is not coincidental that he ends up in that situation with Bathsheba. What, what Peter is saying is that illicit sexual, sexual experiences pursued by these false teachers are intentional from the beginning. It's part of the master plan that these guys have. And he says they literally pray, they look for those who are most vulnerable emotionally, and this is not just women, this is men. We, had, we, had, we were talking last night about this text, a couple of us, a situation that we got involved in as a, as, a, as a team of pastors trying to work with a couple of churches where a young man that we had past associations with had manipulated two teenage boys into this very type of activity. He used his position of authority and in, in hindsight was absolutely manipulative. And I'll tell you this. We, we told him, and this was 10 years ago, and we told him that as a team of faithful pastors and friends, we would make sure that he never served in full-time ministry again because he was unrepentant. Because this type of, of, of behavior is the worst possible imaginable thing. It's, it's the worst thing you can imagine. It's not just that a false gospel is being taught. It's that a false gospel is being taught for sexual gain. That's what he's saying. But he's saying, you can see this. Look in their eyes. You can see it. Watch the way they operate. Look at the way they behave. They literally entice the vulnerable. The idea is that their sexual exploits are, are the motivating factor. This is scary and sobering and infuriating. This, this is important in understanding the intentionality of this. Look in verse 14. It says, they have hearts trained in greed. You see that? Concerning adultery and financial gain. Greed connected and associated with financial gain. The word trained is from the Greek word for gymnasium. 
They have, in other words, they have practiced and trained as one would train in a gym for athletic performance. They've practiced and trained tactics of manipulation using the Bible. Is that scary? Is that scary for our sons and daughters that go off to a city somewhere and plug into a church that's trendy and cool and happening and growing? It's like, oh, that guy, he's such a good communicator. He's so, he's, there's something attractive about him. I, like, I want my daughters when they leave home to go to a church that is going to preach the Bible. And I don't care how big or cool or hip or trendy it is, but where the authority of the Word of God is what matters most. It's scary. It's, I always get a disruption in my soul. There's, I really believe there's something that you need to pay attention to when the Lord in, in afflicts your conscience over, one, over a teacher or preacher. I think you've got to pay attention to that because they're so crafty, because they've trained for it, the way a gymnast trains for the Olympics. They've trained and conditioned the way someone at the Harvard School of Business who then interns on Wall Street so that he might become a broker and a millionaire by age 25 trains for his craft. They have practiced and trained the best tactics for enticing those they influence into sexual experiences. The way this word is used, it implies that they have trained in the past for a moment in the present or the future. And he says they're accursed. And he uses example. Examples are always helpful. Use the example of Balaam. If you go back and you, and you read and study the story of Balaam in Numbers uh, 31, what Balaam did was um, he promoted, he was a prophet, um, and he promoted um, unbiblical and unlawful sexual unions for gain in Israel that was contrary to the, to the law of God and the word and the, the preaching of Moses. So he was a false prophet. He uses him as an example. If we've ever lived in an era in which sexual expression is celebrated as sacred, autonomous freedom for the individual, it is now. We've descended into complete absurdity. But what is so disturbing is that preachers and teachers are celebrating this and promoting it from pulpits and on book tours and on social media platforms. But ultimately, we need to know that Balaam was killed by men sent from God as executioners to carry out the justice of the Lord. Because these teachers will face the hand of God's judgment. Verse 17, he then helps us understand the reality of what these false preachers and teachers do. They're waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. This is a simple principle. You're enslaved to whatever you can't beat. Today for me, it was an Inman's honey bun at Solo. Like I literally, literally, in, the, in, in that microcosm of a moment, I'm like, as I'm Doing that part, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that enslaved thing. The thing you cannot not do, you know? And that one seems harmless enough. But, but, but slavery to that which we cannot say no to. That he's saying, he's, he, so what's the picture that he's painting right here? He's painting the picture, he's painting a couple of pictures here 
of what this slavery looks like. And first in verse 17, he uses the picture of mist. He's like, think of a dry, a dry and parched grain. We've talked to an old timer when we've been through a long, dry stretch. And that old timer will say, you know, and they want to talk about how much rain they got. And they got rain gauges, right? Your grandpa got a rain. Some of y'all got rain gauges in the yard. You're paying attention. Well, we got, we got six tenths last night. You know, so, so you've got, imagine dry, parched dirt that the seed has been planted in and it were, we've been waiting for rain and it's dry and it clouds up and then it just kind of mists, but it never even soaks the ground. He's like, that's what their preaching is really like because it, not, it's not about their preaching. It's about what they're pursuing. And so faithful teaching of the word of God is that the word of God is, you'll see this in scripture where Jesus uh, in John 4 talks about being the living water and the word of God. You'll see a river of life laid out in Ezekiel and in Revelation and this idea of being watered and the soil being watered. And he's, so he's, he's drawing a word picture. He's saying, ultimately, these guys, you'll know it because it's just like a mist. It's gone like this. But then he paints another picture that's equally vivid, but you got to drill into it a little bit. He said, imagine um, uh, something like, uh, let, me, let me just read this. This is another vivid picture. It's a picture of an enslaved man in chains. And this is a picture of a guy in the streets, and he's in, he's in chains. And as people are passing by, he's boasting of his freedom. Don't you wish you were free like me? But somehow he's manipulative enough to convince people to come join him in those chains. It's, it's, that's kind of the word picture he's painting. If you want, listen, here, here's, here's what that means. If you want ethical support for whatever lifestyle you choose to live, this world is full of preachers who will pervert and molest and rape and butcher and murder the word of God to give you credence and license. But the word of God will never fail. The word of God will withstand those distortions and there will always be true preachers who stand on the authority of God's word unapologetically, unashamedly, and in spite of the social and contextual criticism and ridicule and persecution and condemnation that may come. There will always be men and women who, in love, speak the truth. Faithful preachers will labor over the scripture and say, thus saith the Lord, and do so with conviction and fear and trembling and confidence, calling sinners to repent and promising forgiveness and freedom that comes through the healing power of the gospel of God's grace, through the bloody work of Jesus on the cross, to satisfy the wrath of God, to cover us in purity, to cover us in holiness, to make us acceptable to a righteous and holy father. That's the gospel but you will not hear false teachers proclaim that. You will hear them give credence and license to what you, you, you can find somebody to support anything that you want supported. And see this with teenagers where they're saying, well, like in Genesis, it says that God gave every seed-bearing plant, so clearly weed is a gift from the Lord. <laughs> like, yeah, he gave us uh, nettles and poison ivy too. Don't wipe with that stuff, you know what I'm saying? Like, 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 like the, the absurdity of trying to rationalize, but we do this. You, you see toddlers do this, right? Rationalize their behavior. But, 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 I, but, I, but, I, and he's saying, no, 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 listen, you can, we, you can always find someone that'll approve of what you want to do, you know? Like, this is, there's preachers that'll do it. I got TV shows, really big YouTube channels. It's not hard to find somebody that will approve of whatever you want approved. And then he, verse 20, 
For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. It would have been better if they never even knew the gospel. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. By the way, dogs were not household pets in first century Judaism. They were not household pets. Some Romans had dogs, very few. Feeding, some, feeding a mouth was a big deal. Dogs were in the same category as pigs to Jews. Just contextualize this. I got more. I got dogs running out of every nook and cranny of our house, you know, our property. Like, we're everybody got dogs, you know. We're dog society. You don't believe that? Go to Pack Square in Asheville on a Saturday afternoon and watch how many people got dogs on leashes and them little bags. Pick. I refuse. <laughs> and I ain't letting a dog lick me and kiss me in the face. You know why? Because I watch. I've watched them lick things that. So I'm studying this this week, right? And we're sitting out on the porch. We're outside. <clears throat> we're all hanging out on the porch. Mugs and Hank were over. And I don't remember who I was over. It's one night this week. A bunch of people were over. Uh, it was for Laylee's birthday. It, was last, it might have been after church last Sunday. I don't remember when it was. Anyway, it was Monday night, I think. We're all sitting around. And the one dog, got this one dog, Ace. My dogs are dumb as bricks. They're the dumbest things. They are not, there is not a human characteristic in them dogs. I love them. I like to scratch them on the head, rub their belly. When I come in, I rub my boot like this because he'll say like this, you know. And, and Ace comes meandering down through there like this. He's like, what's up, boss? He just walks on by because I'm not his dad. I have five children. They're all humans. What's up, boss? He comes walking by, and he goes, like just, I mean, boom, this big, right on the end of the porch. I was like, all right, guys. Wait for it. I just, I've been studying this text all week. Wait for it. Come here. Come here. I got Moses over there. Come here. Come here. Come here. You see that puke? Watch. You know what happened, don't you? Every, he licked the gravel when he was done. It was nasty. Hey, by the way, it's in the Bible here. I'm just telling you, like, this is what it says. A dog returns to his vomit. What do you think that means? I'm going to stand guard over my vomit. No. He returns to it and consumes the very thing that was expelled. For, like, like, this is a graphic picture of people taking the gospel, the thing that's supposed to provide for you, and, and then returning to their sin. It's like a grotesque, graphic picture. He uses pigs. It's like, I always, I always get... You know, like you see uh, show pigs, and they're clean, and they got that, that little girl in 4-H. She's holding her pig on a leash. Wilbur, like, bow tie. I saw him, I saw him at the Hardy County, State, uh, Hardy County Fair. I was preaching down in Florida. They were like, you want to go get the county fair? You want to go? I was like, let's go. We go, pig, bow tie. I was like, you know what that pig's going to do tonight? Waller in some stuff, right? Like, he's going to go right back over there and it's a vivid imagery. What is he talking about? 
Dogs were considered scavengers. They're considered the lowest form of wildlife. And Peter uses this to describe the heretics that teach a false gospel and lead people astray who also know, we also know that Jews hated pigs and considered their filth indescribable. There was at least one Jewish uprising that led to the Maccabean revolt because a pig was slaughtered in the Jewish temple. This is repulsive to them. What is Peter saying to them? He's saying, let me think of the most repulsive, offensive picture I can paint. That's what false teachers are like. This is sobering. This is sobering. Listen to what R.C. Sproul says. The mud is a pig's natural environment. That is the nature of the brutes who lead the sheep of Christ astray. They entice people to leave the truth of God for a greater liberty, and the freedom they find ends in vomit and mud. Truth divides because it is important, and it is important because the consequences are eternal. Peter is not asking people to hate the false prophets. He's asking them to flee from them and to protect the flock from their influence. That is the task the church has to do in every generation. Three things that create barriers in the building of the church. Hypocritical Christians, false teachers who deceive, and those who willingly follow the deception. For us tonight... We've got to be aware of all three of these, but this is a hard text for, for most church, most Red Oak people love the Bible. You know, like most of you, like, like I'm thankful that we're a church that has, has like a, a deep bandwidth for receiving biblical instruction and, and tested it against the word of God. But I would just say to you, test every word that comes from this pulpit against the spirit of God and against the word of God and hold your pastors accountable for what we do and say and expect us to live lives of transparency and when you're gone from this place beware 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 of a church a pastor a leader that doesn't live with that kind of transparency beware this is like such a sober warning that Peter's given in his last words to the church and for us personally it should just be a reminder, like, we're talking about false teachers, but for me, I should live consistently with the gospel and not be a hypocritical Christian at work, in my community, in my neighborhood. Just live out what I say I believe. Good, good admonishment. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word and come to these types of texts. And I know as a preacher, it's on one hand, it's scary and sober, and on another hand, it's hard, it's hard to make it applicable. And Lord, it, we go through books of the Bible because... We, we, we're not the author, you are. And so when we come to these passages, I pray that you would give us application. I pray you'd give us wisdom and discernment to recognize, maybe it's, maybe it's intervening in the life of a friend who's being deceived. But for us, God, that we would be a, a body of believers that preserves the purity of the church, the bride of Christ, that, that, that we would lay our lives down to defend the purity of the church and true biblical orthodoxy and faithful teaching. I thank you for Red Oak Church. I thank you for this community of faith, these believers. I pray that you would protect us always from infidelity in terms of worship, from infidelity within the church and marriage relationships, from being deceived, and that we would be faithful students of the Word of God, that we might be sharpened, that we might have the laser focus of one who's in spiritual combat, aware and alert to the enemy's schemes and uh, pray that right now you would enjoy 
and take pleasure in our songs of praise to you because you're worthy in Jesus' name. Amen.